1: 6.03 on a Thursday evening here in New York City. This is Arthur Idala with uh, Matt Sambolino behind the turntable and the mixes. What's up, Mr. Sambolino? What's
2: going on, Arthur? How are we doing on this Thursday?
1: Well, I would like to pick up where I left off. Um, you do, do you remember how is what I was doing last night there, Mr. Uh, Sambolino? Yeah,
2: you were seeing a Bettinger's luggage at the AMT Theater last night.
1: And I am going to be absolutely 100 percent sincere. Um, I enjoyed it immensely. Right. Um, it was um, it was a play in a very small theater with a very small stage, and then you open up the playbill, and there's like, I don't know, ten is there ten actors, fourteen I actors and actresses. Of course, I've got to jump on this. Uh, yes, this, this one. is Joan Pelzer, <laughs> otherwise known as Joni Pelzer. I was so, so. um... She, um, Joni greeted us at the door, uh, when we walked in and don't worry folks, we have two major guests on, we have a lot of serious yeah, news, but I did, I did leave off saying I was walking out the door to go to the show, which I did do. And we walked in and it's a small stage and a small theater. And then there's like, you know, I was expecting literally like three to four actors or actresses. I, uh. I didn't know what the premise was, but Luca, my son knew what it was. He's like, dad, it's about a son and a father. And was, so I'm like, okay, a son and a father, there's two actors and maybe there's a third and there's all these actors. And it was, it was really very good. Um, I would recommend anyone to, uh, to go and see it. It's, uh, no one would ever consider it, to, you know, be a waste of their time. It was really, really Aww, good. No, speak. it was good. It was. I'm. not being genuine. And I,
3: Lucas, I, Luca called me today and
1: told me he loved it. And your parents are coming
3: next week, Chicky and Padre. All right. So we we're going to talk about tonight and the phone call that they got.
1: We're going to talk a little bit about um, the, the AARP. We're going to have on uh, Mike Farkas, who is going to talk about what war crimes are and are not. Um, and but I want to talk a little bit about. You know a buzz going on here in the um, in our law office because it's no secret that we represent Rudolph Giuliani in the um, the case down in Georgia. It's a state case. Um, President Trump—that's the case where, of all the cases, the the mugshot of President Trump appears and the mugshot of Mayor Giuliani appears, and that's what everyone's making a big deal out of. But after the election, twenty twenty, and into twenty twenty one, Attorney Sidney Powell. Um, was out there front and center, um, talking about how the election was stolen, and she had um, various theories about why uh, and who and Venezuela and drug cartels and you know she had a lot of reasons to um, that she articulated why the election was stolen. And she was charged, let's see, I'm just, uh, she pushed conspiracies involving Venezuela, Cuba, and China, as well as George Soros, Hugo Chavez, and the Clintons. Um, she also basically claimed that voting machines had flipped millions of votes from Mr. Trump to Mr. Biden. So those were some of the, 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 the basis of some of the accusations against her. Now, this is a state case, not a federal case. And I can't say that I know a lot about, as of this this moment, a lot about Georgia state law. I will eventually because um, we're probably going to be going down there and trying Mr. Giuliani's case. Uh, If not sometime in 2024, then sometime in early 2025. I only say that because Mr. Giuliani is being tried alongside President Donald Trump. And he has three cases before this, the Manhattan DA's case the Washington, D.C. federal case and the Florida um, documents case, as well as running for president of the United States, maybe winning for president of the United States. So, you know, we are in no rush to jump in and do anything. However, attorney Sidney Powell was in a rush and jumped in and did do something, something quite significant. She pled guilty today. Um, And, you know, she was one of the two people who asked for a speedy trial. There is a there is a law in Georgia that if you demand a speedy trial, you get one in short order. And, in fact, it was granted. And the trial, I think, was supposed to start on uh, this Tuesday coming up. And she, instead of going to trial, she has pled guilty. Now, in my opinion, she got an unbelievable plea uh, under the circumstances. She was facing a mandatory minimum five years in jail. Um, And instead of facing a mandatory minimum of five years in jail, she opted for the guarantee, which she has now received, of pleading guilty to several misdemeanors, basically having to do with uh, lying. And she made admissions of, it's called an allocution in front of the judge. And and again, it's misdemeanors, not felonies. So those are lower-level cl- crimes. And for any citizen, that matters. But when you're a lawyer, that really matters. Because if you're a lawyer and you plead guilty to a felony, there's a very, very high likelihood you lose your law license and you can't practice law. If you're a lawyer and you plead guilty to misdemeanors, there's a high likelihood that... Maybe you'll get suspended, but you probably will not be forever barred from the from practicing law and to someone uh, of her age she's not an, you know, she's got plenty of years left ahead of her for miss powell um a plea of this sort to misdemeanors uh is is it's a great, great it's a great great disposition and then listen to this they have in um Georgia, this Georgia First Offender Act, which is what she was prosecuted under, which allows people with no prior felonies to avoid having a conviction on their permanent record if they comply with the terms of their sentence, meaning that if she um, does well on probation for six years and Again, I can't speak for Georgia, but in New York, you often can ask for it to be shortened. Like after you do four years, and like let's say you have no blips on the screen, you've done nothing wrong. You can say, Judge, can we end it now after four years? I'm back practicing law, and I'm a good Samaritan. I haven't been arrested. Can we make it four years? If that, if she com- successfully completes that, she can honestly say that she has never been convicted of the charges. So, I mean, this may not apply to a person of her age, but if she was going to go wanted to work at the Home Depot and they said, have you ever been convicted of a crime? After her probation is over, the judge could seal her record and she can honestly say she has never been convicted of a crime. So she has definitely scored um, in terms of this monkey is off her back. Yes, she's going to have to deal with the Character and Fitness Committee of the Bar Association to see whether she's going to get thrown off or not. It, it's not clear whether she is cooperating or not. It doesn't seem like she is. Usually there's a silent cooperation agreement that is in existence before you got sentenced, but she's already been sentenced to this six year probation because if they sentence her and then she refuses to cooperate, they have nothing really hanging overhead except a violation of probation, which could wind you put, put you in jail. But these are uncertain times and an uncertain case. I will tell you, judge, um, Mr. Trump's attorney, Stephen Sado, said in a statement that any truthful testimony in the Fulton County case would be favorable to my overall defense strategy. He did not elaborate after that. Um, Here in the Giuliani camp, we're just hanging back and letting it all unfold. And let's see how it plays out. But there is still one more trial that's supposed to start next week. Um, And we will see, um, you know, we're going to hear a lot of the evidence and see what they have. Um, You know, this basically all has to do with the tampering of of the uh, election down in Georgia. So we're going to I mean, I could tell you that uh, the person who's on trial is going to be Kenneth Cheesebro. He was a legal architect of the quote unquote fake electors plan. I believe he's also a liar, a la- not a liar, a lawyer. So we'll be watching that closely and we'll update you. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the AARP and then we're going to have former Army JAG and MP officer, retired military judge Mike Farkas talking about the law of war and war crimes. Don't go away. So we-
4: This decade may be the worst one yet to retire in. That's why you need the most current retirement information. For more than 30 years, Bob Carlson has been helping investors stay ahead of turbulent markets and money grubbing politicians. Now, more than ever, you need to subscribe to Bob Carlson's Retirement Watch. Bob makes sure his Retirement Watch readers are getting independent advice on all aspects of retirement. It's advice you won't get anywhere else. When you subscribe to Retirement Watch, you'll get 12 months of the newsletter. You'll also get five model portfolios plus. Plus, you'll get immediate access to the Retirement Watch private website with tons of special reports. You'll also get an online spending calculator to help you deal with inflation. Plus, exclusive conference calls with Bob Carlson, answering your retirement questions live, all for as little as $49.95. Try it for 30 days, and if you're not satisfied, cancel and we'll refund your money. Sound fair? Sign up today at RetirementElders.com. RetirementElders.com. That's RetirementElders.com.
1: For over 75 years, the Columbus Citizens Foundation has promoted Italian-American culture and heritage and has provided thousands of scholarships to talented Italian-American students who need support to achieve their academic dreams. These scholarships enrich the lives of the rising generation who are destined to be our future leaders. You can help make a difference in someone's life today. You can help the Columbus Citizens Foundation by visiting www.columbuscitizens.org because these extraordinary students inspire us every day. Their leadership, passion, and pride in their heritage is a winning combination. The scholarships offer them a chance to achieve their goals and be engaged members of our community. Columbus Citizens Foundation brings the Columbus Day Parade to New York City every every year like they did last week, and it was fantastic. You can help them bring a quality education to Italian-American students in need by donating today at www.ColumbusCitizens.org. That's www.ColumbusCitizens.org.
5: Wish there was an easier way to navigate the world of real estate? If only there was a way to learn from the best. Well, now there is. Saturdays at 10 a.m., our very own Dottie Herman, vice chair of Douglas Elliman, gives you the inside track to what is hot in real estate. Stay one step ahead in today's seller's market as Dottie gives her tips on how to make it through the tricky waters of real estate doesn't matter if you're new to the game or a seasoned vet. You need to listen to Eye on Real Estate. Dottie and her terrific team of experts will guide you as sellers and buyers to make sure you're getting the best value for your property. Whether you want to become a real estate agent or work within the business, there's no better person to learn from than the great Dottie Herman. She's a legend. She's the best, period. Tune in to Eye on Real Estate, Saturdays at 10 a.m., Here on AM 970, The Answer. That's I on real estate. Don't miss it. Saturdays at 10 a.m. Here on AM 970, The Answer.
1: We all know that planning for your future is important. Are you and your family protected? If you're not around to make the decisions, who will? Are your assets protected from probate and nursing home costs? The time to plan is now. Do you need a will, a trust, a power of attorney, a healthcare proxy, a living will? Do you need to analyze your overall estate plan? Well, tomorrow, the last day of the seminars being held by Mike Connors will take place. I uh, De Lucas Trattoria at 616 Forest Avenue in Staten Island to Lucas Trattoria 616 Forest Avenue in Staten Island. My Connors will be there at 11 a.m. and then again at 3 p.m. to answer your questions and to give you a free seminar, give you an idea of what estate planning is all about. If you were not able to make any of these seminars that he had this week, feel free to call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. And don't forget what Mike Connors always says, the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is not planning at all.
4: Listen to AM 970, The Answer on Alexa. Tune in, iHeart, or odyssey.com.
1: little delight. Vote, baby, vote. So why are we talking about vote, baby, vote? Well, if you look at how screwed up Congress is, and maybe you want to say the same thing about our own New York City Council, um, and, and, you know, you want to talk about the direction of your city, your state, uh, your your country, really comes down to voting. I love when I have conversations with people about politics and they were all hot and bothered and passionate. I go, by the way, did you vote last week? Well, no, it was only... Then don't talk to me. If you didn't vote, then don't talk to me. I am so lucky to have on the other side of the desk here at the Idala Bertuna and Kamen's law firm and Gotham uh, Gotham Government Relations a woman who kinda wasn't feeling too well today. She could have just phoned it in, but that's not who she is. She's not a phoner in her. She's someone who takes her job very seriously. As the AARP state director, the one and the only Beth Finkel. Hello, Beth. How are you? How, are you? How do you feel? Are you okay? Oh, feeling good. You up for this? Oh, yeah. All right. Thank you very much. I just want to make it clear that AARP is the most visible and successful organization in the state advocating for New York's 50 plus population. That means Joan Pelzer is in that population. AARP. Um, uh, During Beth Finkel's tenure as state director, the AARP's powerful lobbying efforts on behalf of their 2.6 million members have led to historic New York State reforms, including the passage of the CARE Act, assisted living protections, anti-predatory lending, paid family leave, and affordable housing at New York State legislation, and numerous bills on kin care. So, Beth Finkel, talk to me
3: about voting. Well, we just pulled some data from the Board of Election and found out that, in fact, people across New York State are actually um, registering as independents. And it is particularly true in the under 50, but let's face it, first time you vote, you register you probably will register for one of the parties or as an independent so it's not surprising that numbers are rising for under 50 but what was surprising was that over 18% of 50 plus change uh, the I'm sorry independence increased among the 50-plus by over 18%.
1: Now, I am going to unscientifically say that's because people don't want to be associated with one party or the other because they're both messed up. I will tell you, it's no secret, I am a registered Democrat. And the reason why I'm a registered Democrat, well, one of the reasons, but as of today, the primary reason is because all the major elections here in the city seem to be Democratic primaries, and I want to have a voice in that. So that's why I'm a registered Democrat. However, I really don't, Pound my chest and say I'm a Democrat. I would say I'm a, I'm an independent thinker, and I, you know I when I vote in a general election, I'm all over the place. I think that's
3: true. And I'm all... over fifty, so oh, I'm part good. of you know oh, I'm part good, of the good, team. Good. Okay, well I think that's true, and I think what you brought up is really important because going into the primaries, if you're running in a primary, and by the way, all the city council members are running right here in New York City, and and in Suffolk, we've got the. Suffolk County exec, one more statistic that I love, or I don't love, actually, you'll be appalled at this. In the last primary in June in 2022, 90% of the voters in Suffolk County were over 50 years old. Ninety percent in Nassau County, it was it was eighty percent, and right here in New York City, it was almost seventy percent of all the voters in that primary were fifty plus. So if you are somebody who's running campaigns, you better be keeping your eye on the fifty plus. And I think your point on the primaries was really important because what does that mean? The base of the parties are probably going to end up being the fifty plus, and if you want to get elected in a primary then you really need to make sure you're paying attention to what the 50-plus care about. But we're rolling into November right now, right? We've got the election coming up. Now, if elections are close, and there's quite a number of city council races in New York City that are going to be close, you need to look at that 50-plus independent voter because they're coming out to vote. We know they are going to be a very strong voting. And if an election is close— they're going to shift it one way or the other.
1: Can I just ask you to back up and sure. th- the statistics that you gave regarding New York City for what election was that for? Twenty twenty two June primary. Twenty twenty two. So that was okay. So that was after that was um, Hochul. That was the um, yes, the governor's race. That right. was Hochul,
3: Swazi, and Giovanni Williams. So, but now you're looking at a really. This is not only an off year. This is an off year, off year election. Right. So, who's going to come out and vote? Except for some of those city plus. council
1: races, like which is in my, in my neighborhood, it's um, Ari versus Justin. Yeah.
3: We just did a uh, town hall on with with both of them. Really? Yeah. How did it turn out? It was very interesting, and I got to tell you, the voters came out. We were amazed. Where were you? Turnout. Where was it located? In Bay Ridge. Where? Uh, I'm a Bay you're Ridge ask boy. me that. It oh, was, okay. no, no, it was no. a catering hall, and I'm just okay. The Bay Ridge Manor, something like been, that. Yeah, okay, no been. big deal. Yeah. Um,
1: and when you say they came out, were there a dozen
3: people there? Or? Oh no, no, no. We're talking about well over 200. And okay. actually, we had That's over great. yes. It it was, and the same thing happened in Suffolk. Actually, which surprised me. We had over 400 reservations in Suffolk. It's Stony Brook for the uh, county tech
1: race. I guess what confuses me or puzzles me is a better way to put it. There's definitely a, a progressive movement here in the city of New York. And yet the statistics you just gave seems that, you know, a majority of people are over 50. And maybe I'm ignorant, but I look at, you know, progressives of people way under 50, like in their 20s and 30s and not in their 60s and 70s. Um, and yet, I mean, I can tell you it's no secret. Eric Adams is not afraid of of. A Republican he's not afraid of someone coming after him from the right he's afraid of someone coming after him from the left um, but according to your statistics what he should be focusing on is people my age and Jones age and forget about Sam Bolin who's like a kid at you know whatever you are 32 31 how old are you
3: sample 42
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, something <laughs> like that um, so I mean if, if you're now the state governor's race is a little different than the mayor's race but um, it is it is interesting to me that there's such a high demographic of voters and yet are such a strong progressive movement. In your AARP, 2.6 million members. Do you see a lot of older people with much, much more liberal values or liberal all, political leanings?
3: All I can tell you is it's very interesting. Our members are split evenly. It's like a third, a third, a third. Uh, which is fascinating to me. So I it's would a think third you're Republican, in- a third Democrat, and yes, in some counties, it's a little bit more or less but across the whole state. Give me some stats. It. I see you got all these numbers oh in front gosh. of you. That's okay, here, you're
1: allowed. Uh... It's radio. They can't see you that you're cheating, <laughs> looking at a, a cheat sheet. We're talking to uh, Beth Finkel. She is the state director, the state of New York for the AARP, which um, those of you who are not yet 50, when you turn 50, besides getting birthday cards and Joan gets you like customized socks with your kids' pictures on them, um, you also will get a little flyer in the mail that says, welcome to AARP. You're now eligible and um I, you still can't get into the movies though can you no i don't think you get a well, you know disability. i hate to
3: tell you this but if you're under 50 they won't return your membership dues oh, so you okay. can join and you can oh there you go take so- it, but but people should be joining because to be honest with you nobody fights to keep social security and medicare in place and for future generations like aarp you know people have gone out there and they've earned it your whole life right you worked you paid social security None of us should be throwing up our hands and saying, oh, you know, we earned it. Young people today, they're paying in and they're not even aware of it. They're paying in. They earned it. And we, it should be there for them. And if an ARP will fight like so that. So let's talk about sure.
1: your, your lobbying efforts. So that's one of them, obviously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Give me another topic or two that's on the front burner of the ARP. With- well,
3: I would say Medicare. You know, we just got a great win that now Medicare is going to be able to um, – CMS will be able to negotiate uh, for drug prices under Medicare. We didn't have that before. I mean, Can I ask v- you what CMS is? Uh, Center for Medicare. Okay. Now, now VA, answer. Veterans Administration, could have has always negotiated for drug prices. Somebody might ask, how come they didn't allow Medicare to negotiate? Well, there's lobbyists on the other side who uh, – Want to make sure that they get as much money in as they can. Is there a big fight on the table for 2024? Is there on your agenda?
1: Is there something that needs to be really addressed or fixed for people in
3: the AARP community? Well you know, again, Social Security and Medicare are the most important, but right here in New York State, let's talk about that. Uh, we need more money to go into home and community-based care, right? You've got parents who are in their 80s. I hope they live and be well, but one day, they might need help at home. And right now, in New York State, the amount of money that goes into home and community-based care is minuscule. Where, where the money goes is institutional care. So 160,000 people are in nursing homes in New York State, but there's over two Million people in New York State who are at home and getting care from loved ones who, like yourself, who, oh, mom needs assistance going to the doctor, she needs assistance taking her medicine, etc. That loving caregivers, family members are performing that, and it's getting harder and harder.
1: Well, that's what I was going to say. We. In my family, we're lucky oh, I should say, I'm lucky enough to have a sister who lives down the block from my mother and father, and they, and my parents are in pretty good shape. But no, I believe me, I, I understand, I hear you loud and clear. Um, Speaking of my parents, since you brought them up, <laughs> um, my dad, who is still a very prestigious lawyer here in the city of New York, uh, he came home the other day, and on his answering machine, there was this wonderful voice saying, Mr. Idala, congratulations. This is Heather from Publishers Clearinghouse. We're proud to tell you you've won $18.5 million, and uh, we're going to come to your house and deliver it. We can deliver you a check, and there's going to be cameras there, and you're going to be all over national television. Um, could you just please call this number? So my dad is going to play along. So he calls the number and after congratulating him and there's all lights and sirens behind and, and whoop-de-doo. And they say, okay, what we need just to make sure that you are who you are, we just need you to send us a certified bank check for $8,500 to this uh, address. And to play along, my dad says, Oh, okay. That's not a problem. He goes, you know what? I'll go get the bank check and I'll have it here at the house. And when you come with the check with $18,500,000, you could give me that check for $18,500,000. I'll go up to the bank and cash it and I'll hand you my check. Oh, no, sir. That's not going to work. We need it ahead of time. And I believe my father concluded the conversation with like, ma'am, can I ask you one last question? And she's like, what? He goes, how do you sleep at night? Mm-hmm. How do you do this? Is there anything that the AARP, the AARP,
3: can do to help seniors avoid these scams because they're numerous and abundant? Absolutely. You know, we have a whole department actually that gets out there and helps people. Uh- Fight fraud, and one of the things that people can do is they can go to aarp.org forward slash uh, fraud, and we have a whole fraud watch network that lets you know the latest scams that are going on in your zip code. So you just put that I, in, and it lets you know. Your father was so smart. Yeah, no, I think um,
1: he, I think he actually did go on his iPad on the AARP website oh, and found some of this stuff. Yeah, he's a big fan. He's eighty-five, so he's been a member for quite some oh, that's time. Great, Beth. Thank you so much. I know you weren't feeling the best today, and you made the trek in here. I really, really appreciate uh, It's such a difference when you're here in person, and I have Jackie here making me nervous because she's kind of my boss here at the law firm. Um, This is Beth Finkel. She is the AARP State Director, and um, she's here to look after us, folks, thus me and Joni Pelzer. I, of course, she's a, a beautiful native New Yorker. Am I still allowed to say that? You're not going to sue me for saying no, you're beautiful, no, no, are no. you? Well,
3: thank you, but you okay, Forest Hills, born and bred. So oh, we bred. love Forest Hills. <laughs> Derek
1: Gatiss is in Forest Hills. All right, folks, we're going to come back with a little military talk about Israel and what war crimes are and what they aren't. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
4: After a big dinner, my nighttime heartburn would keep me up. I'd be taking acid after acid all night long. But then I tried Prilosec OTC. Just one pill a day blocks my frequent heartburn for a full 24 hours, giving me one and done heartburn relief. Without heartburn keeping me
6: up, <sighs> I could have a restful night's sleep. Prilosec OTC. One pill a day, 24 hours, zero heartburn. It's possible while taking Prilosec OTC. Use as directed for 14 days to treat frequent heartburn, not for immediate relief. Sometimes I struggle to get to sleep. My body stopped for the day, but my mind is still running. So I take z Zequil, the world's number one sleep aid brand, has a range of non habit forming products to fit you and your family's needs. Invest in a great night's sleep for the best you tomorrow. I'm awake and ready to take on anything. Better days start with Z-Quil nights. Explore our products at zquil.com. Uses directed, keep out of reach of children. So
1: let's talk about Fast Tech Industries because you know, Fast Tech Industries helps you with all of your construction and demolition and weekly waste removal needs. Roll off containers from 10 to 40 yards, perfect for house, garage, cleanouts, or construction and demolition debris. They're specializing in removal and recycling of dirt, rock, concrete, brick, and asphalt throughout all five boroughs in every corner of New Jersey. Rear load trash containers from 1 to 10 yards. Compactors from 25 to 40 yards. Number one supplier of recycled product. Fast Tech Industries is the number one wholesaler of virgin quarry materials from bluestone and sand to Belgian black. Belgian block, excuse me. Faztech Industries is the number one provider of roll-off containers. The number one In providing Staten Island businesses weekly trash removal and recycling pickups. And of what they should be most proud, Fast Tech Industries is the number one private employer on Staten Island with over 260 employees and counting. So when you need help with your construction and demolition weekly waste removal needs, you're going to call Joe C., at 718-494-1600, 718-494-1600, or go online to dot com, and if you mention this ad, mention Authorite Dollar Power Hour, and you're going to get $25 off your next roll-off container. FazTech is proud to celebrate Italian-American Heritage Month. FazTech Industry is a DeFazio company.
6: My name is Imran Ansari and I lead the Civil Litigation Division of Idala, Bertuna, and Kamins, the preeminent New York litigation law firm. Have you been injured in a construction site accident? Have you fallen from a scaffold, ladder, or height while on the work site? If the answer is yes, then you may be entitled to significant monetary compensation for your injuries. In most cases, the law in New York favors you as the plaintiff if injured in a fall while working on someone else's property. It is important. Why don't you speak to an attorney right away to make sure your rights are protected? Myself and our team of experienced trial attorneys will never settle for less than what you deserve. We're always ready to go to court to fight for you and seek justice. If you or a loved one have been injured in an accident, don't delay. Call Idala Bertuna and Cammons at 212-486-0011, 212-486-0011, or visit us at IdallaLaw.com. Idala Bertuna, and Kamins, fighting for justice, fighting for you.
1: Let's talk about our friends at Plaza College. We've been talking about Plaza College's court reporting program all year long. Well, Plaza, on behalf of the New York State Court Reporters Association, is proud to announce this year's one-day convention, a steno state of mind. A steno state of mind is being held at the historic United States Eastern District Courthouse on Sunday This Sunday, October the 22nd, from 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. in Brooklyn, New York, this full-day event inside the famously historic courthouse will bring members of the court reporting community, working reporters, and students together for six seminars celebrating this high-powered profession. You know what that means? Working court reporters, you will earn six NCRA-approved CEUs and the latest industry insight. For more information and to view the exciting agenda, visit nyscraorg slash 2023 full convention. Again, register today at nyscraorg slash 2023 full convention and get yourself in a steno state of mind.
4: Listen to us online at AM970TheAnswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or Odyssey.com.
0: We're back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour with New York City's preeminent trial attorney and quintessential New Yorker, attorney Arthur Idala.
1: Well, as Sam Bellino rocks it with War, Edwin Starr, I have a uh, a man who has served this. City, state, and country so admirably over his, I don't know, 55 years on the planet, something like that. Uh, How old? 53. All right, he's younger than I am. Uh, I have before me Michael C. Farkas, Esquire. But, uh, and he's a former Brooklyn Assistant District Attorney, of the Homicide Bureau. He's been a criminal defense attorney for decades now, following in the footsteps of his famous father, George Farkas. He is the former, as is his father, president of the Kings County Criminal Bar Association, as is his friend, Michael Sibella um he was but the reason why he's here is not to talk about the law i have john esposito who's here to talk about the law of course when i asked him to come on the radio to talk about the law on something he knows a lot about he's like no no no, i can't do that i'm afraid that's a wonderful from a trial attorney um but mike farkas is a former army jag and mp officer and a retired military judge and in his capacity as a military judge judge farkas presided over court martials of active duty soldiers involving serious felony crimes he has an expertise in the law of war rules of law missions and detention operations as both both as a jag officer and as a military police officer he was deployed to guantanamo bay cuba in early 2002 as both an mp staff officer and a jag attorney for the task force running the detention camps he served as the commander's principal liaison with the international committee of the red cross among other duties ladies and gentlemen michael c farkas hello sir how are you
2: hello Arthur. that was that was very nice what
1: what am i supposed to address you as captain
2: uh what have you addressed me as for the last 20 years
1: michael but on the show what am i supposed to address you whatever you like uh, okay, if I, if you were conducting a court martial, what would they be calling
2: you? Uh, come on, then I'm wearing a robe. And what are they? And call people you? have to call me Judge or Your Honor, but I'm not wearing a robe. Okay,
1: what was what was your rank?
2: Lieutenant Colonel.
1: Thank. You. It's a serious rank, bro. <laughs> it's like isn't that Colonel Potter was a lieutenant colonel? Um. <laughs> okay, so let's let's get let's get let's get very very serious. Um, it's obvious to anyone who's listening that Michael and I know each other a long time. We both fortunate enough, you know, others around us practice law and they're walking a tightrope. And if they fall, they die. <laughs> Mike and I walk a tightrope, and we fall. We are of a very unique crew who have our fathers there to catch us. And although I am of Sicilian heritage, and Michael wants to be because he rides a Vespa around town, uh, he is of Jewish heritage. And anyone who's listened to this show for the past two weeks knows how uh, affected I've been by what has taken place in Israel. And we've spoken uh, extensively about the horrors, and you know, but the word "war crimes" has been thrown around a lot. And when I asked Joan, you know, can you find me someone who could talk about war crimes? Well, little did I know right in my backyard did I have someone who really has an expertise in it. So, Mike, you know, what are war crimes? What are not war crimes? What is Hamas doing that's a war crime? What is Israel doing that's a war crime or not a war crime? You know, fill us in from a real military point of view.
2: All right. Well, I think what's been happening for the last 10 days, and really it's happened every time this cycle of violence starts and continues and ends, is you have a lot of people speaking about what's a war crime. This side is committing war crimes. That side is committing war crimes. And more often than not, we're hearing it used for political purposes. There really isn't an analysis about whether intellectually there's a war crime or what nobody really cares what the laws of armed conflict are, as long as it suits their personal or political aims, right? So this is, as you can imagine, very difficult for me uh, with what's happened over the last 10 days to be dispassionate and give a legal analysis, so I'll do my best. But uh, in its most basic form, the laws of war were created not to prevent any harm to noncombatants, but to make war as, quote-unquote, humane as possible. And it's a product of the horrific world wars and conflicts of the 20th century. Uh, after World War II, the first Geneva Convention in 1949, followed in 1977, other various international laws, and then the creation of the uh, International Criminal court all sought to pursue a framework for conducting war. Uh, That seems counterintuitive because war, by its nature, is inhumane. It's horrific. Uh, We hear the term collateral damage all the time. Uh, There are going to be civilian casualties in war. It doesn't matter where it is, but obviously, in densely populated areas, it's going to be worse than in non densely populated areas. So, in the current context, uh, we hear from one political persuasion that Hamas is conducting uh, military or combatant operations in an illegal way, let's just put it right out there, there isn't any gray area here. They don't even deny it, right? Everything that they do is illegal under the law of war. It's war crimes. It's crimes against humanity. You cannot purposefully target civilians. You cannot take hostages. You cannot parade them for public view. You cannot negotiate for their release. You cannot attack civilian areas. You can't lob bombs into civilian areas. You can't do any of those things and that be your actual objective. It doesn't matter what the cause is. It doesn't matter whether you think the cause is just. You know, the law of war separates the reason for the conflict from the conduct of the conflict. So even if you are uh, among those who believe that somehow these atrocities are justified, There is no question under the law of war, black and white, it's illegal, worse, it's genocidal, it's a war crime, it's a crime against humanity. Now, if you, on the other hand, believe that the response that Israel currently and in the past has undertaken to defend itself, again, whether you believe it's self-defense or not, whether you believe Israel's wrong, whether you believe it could be done in a different way, the question under the law of war is whether there is an intentional targeting of civilians. If there is a lawful military objective that is being pursued, then civilian casualties do not constitute a war crime. Once you get past the question of whether the cause or the conduct is legal, then there's the question of proportionality, whether a disproportionate harm to civilians would occur if a lawful military objective was pursued. And then the question, you know, we've seen uh, a lot of things thrown around in the media about sieging or uh, besieging. Gaza, cutting off electricity, water, supplies, causing a humanitarian crisis. There are varying levels of analyses here, but in the first instance, and unfortunately the law of war does not provide political answers, it's it's not there for the purpose of justifying anyone's political persuasion. So siege law is pretty clear. It is not per se illegal. Causing human suffering in war is not per se illegal. There has to be an analysis of what the purposes are, what the objectives are what the proportionality is so, okay, there's, so your, there's your summary.
1: Thank you if you notice it went un- uninterrupted because it was very uh, educational so Mike Farkas um, who was a military judge you and I practice law, and there's a prosecutor who prosecutes, and there's a judge, and there's a jury. Okay, so it's, in these cases, if someone's committing war crimes, is anyone getting, arrested? Is anyone getting locked yeah, up? Is so there a tribunal? Like, you know, how does, how is that going to work? All right,
2: there's a couple of answers. Uh, first, a country is expected to prosecute, enforce and prosecute the laws of war. That is every country's responsibility. You could probably count on maybe two hands, maybe one hand, depending on the conflict, how many countries actually do that. We happen to be in one right now, all right? An American soldier commits a war crime, they get prosecuted, they get sent to prison. It happened throughout the Iraq war, it's happened through every conflict. No war is devoid of war crimes on any side. So we would be naive to say that, uh, well, we're the good guys all the time and we never make mistakes and we never prosecute anyone. That's completely false. Uh, so in the first instance, it's every country's responsibility to enforce. Uh, in the last 20 years or so, the International Criminal Court has been uh, empowered, but only by some countries. Uh, the United States is not a signatory to the International Criminal Court. Interesting. Uh, they, their jurisdiction is international. Uh, American law, the United States Constitution, recognizes international law as being within the jurisdiction of the United States federal courts. So you recall after 9-11 and after the detention of enemy combatants on the battlefield in Afghanistan and later Iraq, uh, we really struggled with the question of how to treat people who are violating, by, by our allegation, the laws of war. Are they entitled to the full protections of an American civil defendant? Are they entitled to the full protections of the Geneva Conventions? Should they get any consideration of any kind? And then, of course, up until today, we're still prosecuting them under a military commission paradigm which falls outside American law. so that's another broad answer so to the you were
1: you know you brought up 9/11 you were in Guantanamo Bay in, in early 2002 right after you know 9/11 months after yes. actually a bunch of weeks after. Um, what was that like?
2: So we were the Army's first element. Uh, when we arrived the Marine Corps had stood up camp x-ray which is what most people recall on TV, the fenced-in cages with the detainees in the orange jumpsuits. That only lasted till about April of '02, before the hardened facility, Camp Delta, was built. But when we, when we arrived, it was that austere environment. It was only a few weeks old. Uh, the Marines set it up and then they left and we took it over. Uh, it was, uh, as you might imagine, a trying time. Uh, no one was over the shock of what, what happened. Uh, Everyone at that point believed that we were conducting a righteous uh, operation in our own defense. What
1: was your role? Uh,
2: So I had dual roles. I was in a military police unit at the time. So I served as a staff officer on the detention operations group staff, which uh, works directly for the commander of the operations group. Uh, I was actually the security and intelligence staff officer. So we uh, coordinated the counterintelligence efforts for the camp prisoners trying to communicate with each other, escape. Uh, as you know, It was kind of like being almost a corrections officer in a military context. Uh, but my other role was as a deputy staff judge advocate for the task force. So I was the deputy attorney advising the commanding general on the detention operation. And that's how we had the Red Cross interact with us for the uh, care of the detainees.
1: So... <clears throat> I have no problem admitting I've never spoken to anyone who's been down in Guantanamo. Are you proud of the way we treated people down there or, you know, some of the things we see on TV about abuse? And look, it was, you know, I've been wearing Joe Hass's bracelet for 22 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I have very strong feelings about 9-11 and people who conspired down there uh, to make the, on that day. What was, I mean, was it as inhumane as we say or so? I'm going to give you an answer. The statute of limitations has passed, yes, and I, I'm fine. a priest, and no yes. one's listening. It's just <laughs> yeah. me and you. I'm sure. This is a
2: private conversation. Uh, I'm going to give you an answer that sounds a little lame. It sounds like I'm trying to hedge, but stay with me for a moment. At that time, there were two joint task force. Is it task force or task forces? I never really knew. Whatever there you was, say is fine by right, me. There were two. One was to run the camp. The other was to run the intelligence gathering mission. We were in separate uh, facilities. Which they, one were you? Running the, the camp? Running the camp. Well, I was in a military police unit. Right. I was not in an intelligence unit. Gotcha. Uh, and I was an MP, staff officer, and a jack. I was an attorney. So we knew of their existence. There were a lot of three-letter agencies walking around Guantanamo. Uh, we were aware that they were removing uh, detainees for interrogation. Uh, I was there for, I think, in-country six months maximum, somewhere between six and seven months. Uh, the, the the lack of integration between those two units was a question, uh, and it's a question that I think is well-documented now that the, the JAG Corps in every service, but certainly the Army, uh, asked from moment number one. Uh, I think that history uh, supports that the JAG corps were the real heroes of American civil liberties when it came to the war on terror. All right, uh, I got to
1: pause you there. We're yeah. going to take a quick break. You got any way to run? Or could you hang out for a couple more minutes?
2: With you I'm hanging.
1: You're you're a two segment guest there, uh, Mr. Farkas. All right, so we are here with Mike Farkas. He's a former Army JAG and uh uh judge and he's a uh, was a military police officer. Um Got a lot of uh, real knowledge. So, Mr. Sambolino, let's take a quick break here and uh, we'll come back right after these messages.
7: Actual results may vary. Oil and natural gas keep going up as the Russia conflict escalates. Get in on the next major oil boom now and help the U.S. with your patriotic investment that can potentially pay you monthly income for up to 20 or more years. your investor and experienced operator in its core area of operations. Call now and learn how to deduct 100% of your investment and create 20 or more years of potential monthly income. Call 800-287-6691. That's 800-287-6691.
1: So, let's talk about one of uh one of our sponsors of this show, that would be Bay Ridge Honda. Bay Ridge Honda is cooked is kicking off October's spooky season with scary savings so low that you'll scream. They are the Sabah family owned and operated Honda dealer for over 60 years, serving the five, Boroughs: Brooklyn, Manhattan, Staten Island, Queens, the Bronx. They all choose Bay Ridge Honda. Browse from over 200 new Honda vehicles, like the all-new Honda Civic, the Honda CRV, the Honda HRV. They are ready for you to drive home today, and over 100 certified pre-owned vehicles backed by the Honda True Program. And you know what? Bayridge Honda has the 2022 President's Award winning dealership. Right now, get 0% APR financing and zero down payment on select new 2023 Honda models all month long. Plus, you're going to receive $1,500. Yep. $1,500 when you turn in your trade or lease when you purchase your next car with Bayridge Honda. Even if you don't buy a car from Bayridge Honda, they'll buy your car from you. So visit them at Fourth Avenue and 88th Street in Bayridge, Brooklyn or online at BayridgeHonda.com. That's BayRidgeHonda.com. These deals are available to qualified buyers. Additional fees may apply. See dealer for details. This sale ends on Halloween 2023.
0: Kevin McCullough is next on AM 970. The answer.
1: Sambalina, why we got a little aha going? That's because today in 1985, Aha went to number one on
2: the US Singles Chart with this song, making them the first Norwegian group to score a US number one. And everyone remembers the music video for the song which featured the band in a pencil sketch animation method called rotoscoping combined with live action which also won it six awards and was nominated for two others
1: at the 1986 MTV Video Music Awards. Look at you, Sam Bellino. Check out the big brain on Sam Bellino. Um, all right, so we're back here with Mike Farkas. And uh, Mike, my uh, one of our regular listeners, Frank from Staten Island, um, you know, you served under the George W. Bush uh, administration. I'm going to ask you a pointed question. Under the definition of war crimes that you so eloquently articulated here on the show, is George W. Bush is he a war criminal? Does he fit the definition of someone who committed war crimes?
2: So I can give you an attorney's answer, and that is that the President of the United States cannot be held accountable for individual actors. Very nice, so, All right. so I do not believe that George Bush should be prosecuted for war crimes. I also happen to believe that George Bush was uh, in in his mind, this is my personal belief, a principled person. I believe that he thought he was doing the best he could possibly do to protect American lives uh, but you know you asked me a moment ago about whether I am proud of how things were handled or whether I questioned any of the activities pursued in the name of our safety after 9-11 and in Guantanamo. And what I was about to say was that the Jags were the ones who were openly questioning what we were doing. And I'm very proud of that. Just tell folks what Jags does. uh, The Judge Advocate General's Corps. Each military service has basically a bureau of lawyers. They're known as judge advocates. And the leadership of the Army, Jag Corps in particular, as the lead agency for the president on law of war were very vocal about the Defense Department's policies and the manner in which they were pursuing the global war on do you terror. Know, do
1: you know the television show Homeland? I do. Okay. I I didn't watch it extensively, but I think it, it's in the first or second episode, they basically, it's the uh, George Bush administration and they're waterboarding guys to get them to speak. And then Obama comes in and they come in and they say, we can't do this anymore. Is that just something we watch on TV like The Sopranos or is it, is that something that we or is that something that is kind of has some truth to
2: it? There's it definitely accuracy in the difference of approach and opinion between that Republican administration and that Democratic, the Democrat administration. Uh, Obama went into office calling for the closure of Guantanamo, uh, if you recall. And that never occurred. There's reasons. You know, it's very easy to say everything there is being conducted illegally. The prosecutions are illegal. They're out of order. This whole thing's out of order, right? right? It's when, very easy. When you
1: don't know the fa- when you're a candidate. Yeah, it's and very, you don't know the very fa- exactly.
2: But then Obama bumped, in my opinion, bumped into the harsh reality that not everything we were doing as a country was illegal or immoral, and that's, in my opinion, why it didn't close. Things were definitely changed. Uh, would President Obama have pursued similar tactics uh, when the country was burning? I I don't know if we can ever answer that question.
1: Okay. Now, Michael Farkas, I don't have that much time left, and I want to give you the opportunity to, you know, you you could take it away. You could address whatever you'd like to address uh, on what's going on in Israel today and maybe what the future. Look, we know what's happened in the past, and we know how horrible it is. You know, let's talk from a military point of view. We have three minutes left about the future.
2: Yeah, so first, I wish that there were more people Uh, on the left and right, certainly in our country and in our Congress, who took the time to be a little more uh, concerned about facts, uh, a bit about law, and just to consider what will come next. Uh, I see a lot of flippant, casual remarks being made for political purposes. I see a lot of attacks on Israel from members of our own House of Representatives. Uh, You know, immediately concluding that the attack on the hospital was done by Israel and it's a war crime. Uh, you know, I believe some Congress people have not even retracted those statements.
1: Right. I believe our intelligence has said that that's not true.
2: Right. And I don't know what happened and you don't know what happened. But, you know, uh, I'm not in the habit of immediately believing uh, the ter- a terrorist organization that with that, no matter where you stand on this question, is guilty of raping, burning and beheading children right? I'm not in the habit of just taking their word on anything. And I don't think any principled person should be. I think the Israeli government should also be questioned. I think we have a lot of concerns. We should have a lot of concerns about what comes next. We rushed into Iraq. I personally was in support of that because I believe that we had a real plan going in to make it a better place and to institute like a Marshall Plan for the 21st century. And we screwed it up I hope that doesn't happen again, and so my my hope is that through a legal framework, there could be a little more calmer and clearer analysis of what's happening, and a solution that saves as many people as possible can be reached.
1: All right. Well, this is certainly an interesting uh, idol power hour here on AM nine seventy The Answer. I want to thank uh, Mike Farkas. He was. Uh, you know he lived up to the hype let's let's put it that way I got a bunch of texts today when they knew that Michael Farkas was gonna be on not only has he served our country so well in the United States Army but he has served our country our city and our state so well in protecting our Constitution our federal Constitution our state Constitution in the courtroom both as a prosecutor and as a defense attorney I also want to thank the AARP State Director Beth Finkel uh, who, uh, made it in here to talk about some uh, some issues affecting guys, my age and Mr. Farkas's age and Joni Pelzer's age. Um, and, uh, but Mr. Farkas, thank you very much. Thanks for finding the time. Thanks for being here. And, um, regards to your dad. Thanks and for having regards me. Regards from my dad. Mr. Sambolino, thank you for doing another excellent job. Joan, congratulations on Bettinger's luggage. And Esposito, you were fantastic on the radio tonight. Have a great night, everyone. Enjoy Thursday evening. We'll see you back tomorrow, live and local, on AM 970, The Answer.
4: The Arthur Idala Power Hour is sponsored by Idala Bertuna & Kamen's PC